join me in turning to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. We're continuing, of course, our verse-by-verse study through the gospel of Mark. We'll be picking it up in a few moments in verse 18. Several times over the years, Lisa and I had an opportunity to put our children, when they were younger, into the car. We'd tell them to get their jacket and go to the car. We'd get in the car. We'd make our way to Interstate 5. We'd begin heading north, and kids ask questions as they do, you know, and they'd say, where are we going? We tell them, you'll see. Well, that, that's not acceptable to a child. You know, they love to ask questions, and so that just gets the questions coming more and more. Where are we going? Is it this place? Maybe. Is it that place? Maybe. Sometimes they'd even guess the place, but we wouldn't let on. We wanted it to be a surprise, and, and we'd drive north, and we'd eventually get off the freeway and make our way into a parking lot, and the kids would always guess where we were going, and it was easy for them to guess because when you pull in the parking lot, there's a ginormous Mickey Mouse over the top of it, okay? And they'd go, Disneyland! And we would get excited about that, watching their expression, their enjoyment. And, and it's priceless, really, as a, as a parent to see your children love something like that. Actually, it's not priceless. It's ridiculously expensive. But, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying. You, you wouldn't put a price on something like that. And, and I just wanted to, to introduce our message today with that by saying this. We have a heavenly Father in God who loves us. He's a great Father. He loves to give gifts to His children. You see, it is the very nature of God to be good, to be kind, to be loving, to be benevolent, and to be gracious. That's just the way He is. Now, make no mistake about it. God is just and God is holy. But I'm saying today that if God is your heavenly Father, by faith you've entered into a relationship with Him, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to know you've got a great Father, the man that we've been studying in Mark chapter 5, has just really begun to understand how wonderful God is. He met Jesus as his Savior, and we often use the term saved to refer to a spiritual relationship with God, saved from the consequence of our sins, saved to a relationship with God that will last forever, and we say saved. But this man was saved in every sense you could use that word. His life was a mess. And the relationship with God was, it was uh, instigated by, by Jesus Christ, by His love. He, he meets this man, and, and, and we, we learned last week that this man was drawn to God, and, and he established a relationship. We know that he knew what regeneration was all about. He was born again. That's what that term speaks of. He, he understood what reconciliation was all about. He was estranged from God. He knew what recovery was all about. His life was an absolute mess. A failure in every sense of the word, and yet, as God began to work in his life, the recovery came through Jesus Christ. There's a lady in in the Bible that loved Jesus very much. She anointed Jesus, the Bible tells us, with some valuable perfume. And of this lady, Mary of Bethany, the Bible says, Jesus more specifically says, I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same Loveth little. Jesus, in principle, was saying this. For those who would be critical of the love that she showed, understand she was forgiven much. And for that reason, she loves much. If you'll remember, Judas was there saying that was a waste. We should have sold that and taken the money and given it to the poor. Of course, Judas didn't want to do that. He was the middleman. You know, he had a good social program in mind, but really he wanted to skim the money for himself. But Jesus said, listen, what she did was a testimony of love. And that's exactly where this man was. Man, he'd been forgiven much. The power of God had been enormous in his life. And for that reason, he was desirous of living a life that would 
in return express love back to God. You see, our response to the grace of God says a lot about what we think of Him. If you're here today and you don't know that heaven is your eternal home, uh, I, I want you to know this. You can know what the forgiveness of sins is about in a relationship with God. And we're going to talk about that today. And there's great hope for you and you can have that confidence. But maybe you're here today and you have that confidence. You know for an absolute certainty that, that you've received God's free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to understand this. How we live our lives says a lot about the value we place on Jesus Christ and the free gift that he, he gave us. And I want us to think of this together today. He's a great God and he's done great things in our lives. And the response of this man that we've been getting to know in Mark chapter 5 is so exemplary for us. It's got something to teach all of us. And so if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we turn in Scripture together to Mark 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 18. Mark chapter 5 and verse 18 and the Bible says this, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Now I'm going to read on, but just to bring us up to speed. Uh, he is getting into the ship, that is Jesus. He that had been possessed with the devil, that's the man that we've been talking about, sometimes called the maniac of Gadara, the life that was uh, redeemed by Christ. And then the Bible says he prayed him that he might be with him. In other words, this man comes to Jesus as he's leaving and prayed just simply means ask. And he asked Jesus, can I be with you? So that's the heart of this man. Let's look at verse 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home. Go home. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Now, Jesus says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and tell your friends how great things. Jesus said, what I did for you was great. And I want you to tell people of the great things. Look at verse 20. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. We find in the midst of verse 19 as well as in the midst of verse 20, these words, great things. And I want us to think on this together today. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together to learn and grow. And I do pray that you would help us today. God, there's not one of us here today that does not need the truth of your word. But we know that this book is a spiritually discerned book. Open our, our spiritual eyes so that we may see and learn and grow. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The power of Christ had never been any more obvious than it was during his time in Gadara. He waged battle with a legion of evil spirits, of unclean spirits, and he conquered them with ease. You see, no one can defeat evil except it be the power of of God. If we have any degree of spiritual victory in our lives, it's not because of our power or our abilities, it's the power of God that works in us. And Jesus Christ personally encountered these unclean spirits, he personally entered into battle with them, and he came out victorious, and through that he asserted his deity. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he is God the Son. The response of the community to, the, to this uh, occasion was bizarre. It was peculiar. 
Jesus makes his way to Gadara. He liberates a man who was held captive by unclean, by evil spirits. And, and the Bible says that the response of the community to Jesus Christ was that they asked him to depart out of their coast. In other words, they said, Jesus, that's great and all, but can you leave now? You're bad for business is what they were saying, if you'll recollect. It was a strange combination of arrogance and ignorance to ask God the Son to leave your community. Arrogance is not good. Ignorance is not good. You get the two together, you've got something that's really not good. And that was the heart of the community in general towards Jesus Christ. Jesus, God the Son, the most amazing and beautiful being the earth has ever beheld, was evicted from a place in which He had done nothing but shown His love and His grace. Jesus has never been one to force Himself upon communities or upon people that don't want Him. That's not the way Jesus functions. And so he makes his way to the apostles there at the boat, preparing to leave. And the Bible says, and, and when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. As, as horrible as the response of the community was, and it was horrible. It was horrible what that community did to Christ. But as horrible as that was, we find something just as wonderful in the response of this man. He comes to Jesus Christ, and listen to what he's saying. The whole community is rejecting Jesus Christ. They're asking him to leave. And this man is basically coming to Jesus saying this, I don't care what the whole community thinks. I don't care what the culture thinks. I don't care what society thinks. I don't care if everyone in the world rejects you, Jesus. I know what you've done for me. You're a great God and you've done great things. And I want my response to your grace to be great as well. And he comes to Jesus You see, this man was not just a witness of the great things that God has done. He was a recipient of the great things that God had done. And as this scene unfolds, there are several elements we need to get a hold of today. If your outlines are nearby, I'd like us to begin by seeing his faithful devotion. His faithful devotion. Again, let's not forget the scene here. Let's let the picture be etched in our minds. The city has driven Jesus, the Bible says, out of their coast. They don't want him. They don't love him. They don't respect him. They don't care for him. And it was in that environment that this one who had been changed so dramatically by Jesus Christ comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I want to be with you. They don't want to be with you. They want you to leave. But Lord, I want to be with you. There was a faithful devotion in response to the goodness of God in this man's life. This this year has been a year of transition for our family. Uh, Many of you know that our oldest daughter moved away to uh, begin college, and that was uh, a a good thing and and a bad thing, I guess you could say. Uh, We're so very thankful for her, for Jessica, and, and we're very, I guess pride is the wrong word, right? Pride goes before a fall, but... We're just thankful. We're blessed at the, at the young lady she's becoming. And uh, we just want the best for her. We're so very thankful. She's, she's getting an education in the hopes of serving Jesus Christ with her life. And, and we love her dearly. But we also miss her a lot. So you're very happy on one hand. On the other hand, you're just kind of sick about it. You know, we've had more than a few times when it's been extra quiet in the house. And we've looked around and everyone's thinking the same thing. It's just not the same without old Jess in the midst of it all. And, and so we're happy and we're sad. But she had a couple weeks ago what they call a go-home weekend. 
She has two weekends a semester where she can just leave, you know, and uh, she can go home. And so she came home. And that Friday evening, I was arriving home. I'd been speaking out somewhere, I believe, in Tennessee that time. And, and uh, got home, and here we are all together. And Jessica had just arrived from driving in. And, and uh, Lisa told Jessica, listen, we're so glad you're home. We're going to do whatever you want to do. We'll go wherever you want to go. We'll eat wherever you want to eat. We'll do whatever it is that seems most interesting to you. And Jessica said, oh, I don't want to go anywhere. I want you, Mom, to cook tacos, and I just want to stay home. Now, I don't know what I expected her to say. I would not have rather heard anything in all of the world. Because what she was saying was, one, I like tacos. Who can blame her for that? Okay, tacos are good. And she was saying, two, I like my family, and I like our house, and I like the memories that were made here. What she was saying is this, I just want to be with you guys I don't really want to go anywhere. I'm not interested in doing anything. I really am not all that interested in going to a restaurant. I'd just rather stay home and be with you. If we're together around the table, eating tacos, or we're sitting on the couch, catching up on old times, I just want to be with you. When this man came to Jesus in the midst of a crowd that wanted nothing to do with him and said, Jesus, I want to be with you, what he was saying is this, I love you, Jesus. I want to be with you. I I care about you. He was saying, Jesus, you saved me from my sin and from my circumstances and from my captors. You saved me from a life destined for defeat and despair. Lord, I just want to be with you. I want to go where you were going. I want to do what you were doing. Can you think of a better response to the grace of God than to say, Lord, I just want to be with you? That's where this man was. And as we reflect on Christ's call to the apostles, we remember what the Bible says in Mark 3 and verse 14. The Bible says of Jesus, if you'll recollect, we covered this in our study, that Jesus ordained 12 that they should be with him. And then secondarily, that he could send them forth to preach. Jesus, in calling the apostles, called them unto himself, and he did so first and foremost that they would be with him. It didn't begin with with doing, but with being. Friends, look up here. Let me help you with this this truth of, of God's Word, this principle. So often we get caught up in the frenetic pace of life that we forget that we've been created by God Almighty, not as human doings, but as human beings. And if we get so busy in the course of life that we lose the ability to just be... We've lost the great gift that comes from from the Lord. And and really, in our being, we need to see the value of of being with Christ. And nothing pays honor to a saving Lord like we find in Jesus, like a, a faithful devotion to just be with Him. But as we move on and continue to see this man's development after he comes to Christ, we see next a fervent desire. You see, there was, there was a lot to this, and, and sometimes when I read the Word of God, I try to get the picture in my mind, and I try to put myself there. So we've got the apostles in a boat, Jesus is stepping in a boat, this man's running up to Jesus now, hold on, hold the boat, and he's saying, uh, I, I want to follow you, but, but I want you to get the picture. All this man knows, and he doesn't know a lot, he knows Jesus loves him, he knows that Jesus saves and all of that, but, but he sees these men who are following Jesus around, and they're in the boat. And he knows he wants to follow Jesus, and he loves Jesus now, and and he sees these guys here. And I really think in a sense, I don't want to read into Scripture, but but I think you get the picture that he was saying, Jesus, I want to follow you like those guys. 
Whether he knew what an apostle was all about, I, I don't know. But I do know that he saw Jesus and there were men that followed him. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, I want to be like these guys. I, I want to go with you and I want to serve with you and I want to be a part of the work. I just love that about this man. He's got a fervent desire, not just to be with Jesus. Yes, that's where it begins. But then to invest his life in the things that are of the greatest importance to the Lord. One of the marks of someone who understands what Christ has done for them through salvation is a desire to live for the things that are of interest to Jesus Christ. That's one mark that we understand what Jesus has done for us when we say, I want to respond then by living for him. If you've watched the news recently, you know that Egypt is, is a nation with a great history, a rich history, but a nation that is not very friendly to people of faith in Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, it was reported that more than 300 Christians had just that week been martyred for faith in Jesus Christ. And much of this event that they're referring to as the Arab Spring, we champion that and we say, oh, isn't that wonderful? Democracy is, is winning. It's, it's really not all that it seems to be at face value. You see, there's no more harsh form of, democ of government than de democracy. Democracy is ruled by the majority. We are not a democracy in the United States. We're a constitutional republic. It's different, and I'm grateful for that. You see, a democracy is, is, is very harsh if you're not the one in the majority. And if the majority happens to be people who follow a different system of beliefs and they all decide they want to kill you, whether it's right or wrong, it's almost irrelevant at that point. It's ruled by the majority. And if the majority is Muslim and the minority is people of faith in Jesus Christ, and the majority wants to martyr these people. That's how that works. We have a man in our church of Egyptian descent. He was born in Egypt, received medical training. He's recently received some advanced certification. And I was speaking with him recently, and I said, what are your plans? This is a man who knows Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He said, I want to go back to Egypt. But you just told me 316 Christians were martyred there this week. I want to go back to Egypt. There are a lot of people there that need medical attention. They can't all get it. And I'd like to go there and, and I'd like to share the love of Jesus with them by helping them with this skill I've developed through my years of training, this medical skill I've received. And, and then I want to tell them about Jesus Christ. I want to go to Egypt. I think there are a lot of us today who say, that guy, he's out of his mind. He's now reached a place in, in his professional career where he can make a living, where he can sit back and take it a little bit easy, have a standard of living that his brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt could only dream about, and, and you're going back to that? He said, I may not be able to legally be, uh, be given access to my country. I may not be able to get in. He said, if I can't get into Egypt, I then want to go to Uganda. Uganda has also been in the news recently. We've recently sent some troops over there. There's chaos there. He said, if I can't go to Egypt, I'll go to Uganda. There are many poor people there that, that need medical help and, and medical attention. And I can share the love of Jesus with him. I could not help but think that his desire wouldn't make sense to the majority of people in our world today. You see, but it's his love for Jesus Christ that compels him to say, you know, I don't want to just do everything in this life that I can think of doing in my flesh. I want to think, what would Jesus do? Given my background, given my opportunities, given my training, given my expertise, how would Jesus live this life? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 made a profound statement. He said, the love of Christ constraineth us. In other words, Paul, what's your motivation? He said, it's the love of Christ. And I love the way Paul did not say it's my love for Jesus. 
We always have a way of putting ourselves on the pedestal. Paul, you've done a lot for Jesus. Why? Well, I just love him so much. More than you, probably, you know. That's not what he said. He said it's the love of Jesus. It constrains us. He said, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, Paul was saying, because of the great love of God, I don't want to live my life for myself. I want to live it for him. I'm not suggesting today that all of us should go quit our jobs and quit everything we're doing and, and find some poor country to which we can move to be a blessing. That, that's, that's not what I'm suggesting at all. What I am saying is this. It's perfectly appropriate for people of faith to respond by saying, Jesus, this life that I have is a gift from you. It is of your grace, not of my own making. And I don't want to live life to the self. I want to live life to your glory. And I want others to come to know you because of my life. Lord, use me as you see fit. When we love Jesus, we'll long to follow in his steps and keep his commandments. When asked what the greatest commandment was, wouldn't you be interested in knowing the greatest commandment? Number one, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if we want to love him, it would be helpful to know the commandments. But this is the greatest commandment. Jesus told us the greatest commandment in Matthew 22. He said this, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. So Jesus says, you want to know the greatest commandment? Here it is. Love God. Love God. I want everybody to look at your neighbor today and say, love God. That was pathetic. Look at your other neighbor today and say, love God. You guys are very uncooperative today. All right. Commandment number one is love God. All right. That's it. Jesus said, well, if you must know what is the most important commandment, love God. That's it. It's the most important one. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the most important commandment is to love God. He goes on to say this, uh, the, uh, love God. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You got to love others. Now, he didn't say love others and then love God because you can't appropriately love others until you first have a love for God and know of God's love. You, you can't have the right relationships with others this way until your relationship with God is right this way. So we're to love God and love others. Look at your neighbor now and say, love others. All right, you guys are working with me somewhat. The early service today seemed to be a little more motivated, all right? So what did I, what did I learn in church today? I'm supposed to love God and love others. That's it. That's what Jesus says we're to do. Love God and we're to love others. Now I want you to think of that. That is an appropriate response to the grace of God in our lives. It includes a faithful devotion and a fervent desire to love God and love others. But I want us to see as we continue looking on here the fruitful deference in this man's life. Let me explain this to you. This man had it all planned out. He was going to leave his home. He was going to follow Jesus. He wanted to be perhaps an apostle of Jesus Christ. It was going to be great. He tells Jesus of his plan. Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, go home. Go home. Go home to your friends. And tell your friends the great things that I've done for you. Now, we really have to understand what happens here. This man had a plan that originated from a sincere heart. I, I have no doubt about that. A sincere heart. He wants to serve Jesus in a specific way. And Jesus says, nope, I've got other plans for you. Jesus, I love you and I want to do this for you. And Jesus said, no, not that. I've got something else in mind for you. And this man had to defer to God's plan in his life. Did you know sometimes we have to turn in life from bad things 
to good things. And sometimes in life, we have to turn from good things to better things. And sometimes in life, we have to turn from better things to the best things. But in all of our turning, it's not about the things. It's about aligning our lives with God's perfect will. You see, all of our turning, it's not about geography, it's not about income, it's not about a relationship, so to speak. All of our turning ought to be essentially saying this, God, I love you, and I know you, and I know that you have a plan for my life, and I have desires, and I have things that are on my heart, but ultimately, God, I want to turn so that I'm exactly where you would have me to be. Many of you know, Lisa and I, prior to coming here, we lived in Tennessee, and we loved it. It was great. Nice people there. Uh, we loved the area. We're getting ready to buy a home. We enjoyed that. We enjoyed the seasons. We enjoyed Cracker Barrel. Can I get a witness today? Amen. And if you don't know what Cracker Barrel is, we'll talk after the service. All right. But uh, there was a lot of things to like about that. And we had moved to that area from Southern California. Now, I want you to understand this. We left family. We left friends. We left job. We left stuff. We left Went up to Barstow, hung a right, and drove about 2,200 miles to Knoxville, Tennessee. And we unpacked and set up life, and it was deeply fulfilling. We enjoyed it very much. Good things were happening. We were a part of a large ministry, and I had opportunities to, to travel and speak, which I enjoyed at that time very much. And, and it was just really happening, and we were letting our roots go down, and we thought, God, we'll just spend our whole lives right here for you. And then God began to do something in our hearts. He began to stir us up and say, but I want you to... Go back over there. Thank God, are you serious? We just left everything really as a sign that we want to follow you and pursue, pursue you and left, left stuff. Lord, to come over here. And now you're saying go back over there. And we had to come to the place where we said, God, we're going to defer to you. We just want to serve you. We, we thought it was going to be here forever. We just kind of acted that way. Now we're being told we're going to defer to you. And I've got to tell you, in the course of time, we haven't just deferred to God and His plan. We now prefer it. And as we look back over 13 years and see what God has done as we came here, we, we say, you know, God really does know what He's doing. God is wonderful, and He has a way of directing us, and we need to give God the liberty to redirect us. What move are you not taking in life because you're just scared that it's not going to work out? You have to trust God and this matter of faith is, is a little bit tough. Psalms 37, 23 says this, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. There will be times in our Christian lives when God will direct us in a way that seems strange at the time. But we need to have a heart that says, God, I want to defer. We'll do it your way. Not my way. Now, I just want to talk to our church family for a moment, if I may. This Thursday, we begin a missions conference. A missions conference is a meeting of the local church to determine the fate of the world. It's a meeting of the local church to determine, hey, there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. What are we going to do about that? And people have asked, how do we prepare a missions budget as a church? Here's how it works. Once a year, we have a conference to help us be reminded of the need around the world and the opportunities we have to participate and partner with missionaries. And each of us in a private way, without our name on a card, writes down what we would like to do for missions. We collect them all. We add that number up. And that is the church 
budget for missions. That's it. You know? Well, who picks the number? Nobody picks the number. We, we do all very private. It's between us and God. It's not a, your name on this thing. It's private. We collect them, and that's how much we give to missions. Now, I've never one time sensed a cynical spirit in this, but if anyone ever said those crazy churches and their offerings, I want to remind you, we don't keep this, okay? This, this goes around the world. People are being helped with this in, in so many different ways. That's how we do it. It may be that God would impress upon someone's heart, listen, I want you to begin supporting missions or increase your commitment to, to supporting missionaries. And, and what a wonderful thing that would be. But maybe you'd say, you know, my plan really was a little bit different. It was this way. and God's leading me this way. Maybe it's a, a, a person in your life, you know, who's lost their job and they're struggling and God's put it on your heart to do something for them. And, and you're thinking, well, man, in these tough times, I better look out for number one. I better store up all I can. But, but maybe God's telling you, why don't you take them some groceries or just anonymously uh, put some money uh, in an envelope and tape it to their door, whatever it might be. Maybe it's go out of your way and encourage someone who's discouraged. Does God have the liberty in your life to direct and redirect you? We need to follow his leading. We need to respond in a way that would be pleasing to him. It's always preferable to defer to God. And then the final thought today, we see this man's flawless diligence. Now let's look at verse 20. The Bible says that he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Now, it had to be a disappointment for this guy. Again, let's get the picture. He's running out of the boat. They're getting ready to push off. Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, go home. Tell your friends. Now, there's a great principle in that, I think. Ministry begins at home. All right? I think there's a principle you see throughout Scripture. It begins at home. And uh, really, we, we, we uh, uh, need to be careful. We're not out there trying to tell everyone else in the world what it is they need to know and what it is they need to do if at home things aren't as they should be. And so I think there's a good principle. Ministry begins at home. But the Bible says that, that this man, upon receiving his instructions, he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. Decapolis, uh, deca, you know, decade, you get the idea of ten. Decapolis was a collection of ten cities, and uh, Gadara was one of them. And Jesus said, I want you to go home, talk to your friends and your family. But this man was so on fire for Jesus Christ, the ten cities around where he lived, they all heard about Jesus. And the Bible says not only did they hear about him, they marveled. Think of that. This man became one of the earliest missionaries to the Gentiles. Jesus had to go, but that man remained. And he gave a faithful witness to the grace and power of Jesus Christ. And I don't know for a certainty, the Bible doesn't say, but I can't help but believe that many of the Gentiles to whom this man witnessed placed their faith in Jesus as well. When Jesus returns to the area at some point in the future, there are many people there to receive him. What a wonderful thing that this man was used in such a profound way by Jesus. Jesus, being a Jew, would not have been as well received in a Gentile region. So Jesus said, listen, I've got to work over here, but I've got to work for you. I've got to work that you can do. May I encourage you today never to underestimate the value of your life. Don't ever underestimate the impact that God can make through you. You see, God today does not come to us and say, well, I'll tell you what I want from you. I want a little bit of your time. Could you please, please, please come to church on Sunday? Can you, can you come on Sunday night? Can you come to a small group? It doesn't take much time. Can I just have a little bit of your time? And while you're at it, I, I, I'd like a little bit of your talent. I, I put some talents in your life. And if you could allow me to use some of your talents to be a help and a blessing to others, that would be great. And, and a little of your treasure, that would be good too. Not much, 10%. 
I mean, I've given it all to you anyhow. You get to keep 90%. I'm only going to ask for a little bit. That's not how God functions. God doesn't come to us and say, can I just have a little bit of you? But God does come to us and say, I want every bit of you. I want all of your time, and I want all of your talent, and I want all of your treasure. I don't want you to parse it out to me in pieces. I'm not asking for you to give it to me incrementally over the course of time. I want 100% of you, and in exchange for all of you, God says, I'll give you a new self. He says, I'll give you myself. He says, we'll get things set up so that I can live through your life, and I can help and love and encourage and witness and do all the things I want to do through you. Never underestimate the impact that your life can make when in response to the grace of God, you say, God, you are so good. I just want to live for you. I want to do the things that you would have me to do. So often our response to the great things the Lord hath done is less than a willingness to give our lives to God. And what this man did that really set him apart was the fact that he realized, boy, I was a total mess before Jesus came along. And since he's been so good to me, I want to I wanna live for him. That is a great response to God's great work. There's an author by the name of A.N. Wilson. He's had a lengthy and well-known writing career. He's British and He's been well known for the last 30 plus years for his position against Christianity. He's a highly educated man, a well-known man. He's, he's uh, respected in, in, in intelligentsia circles, and he's come to the conclusion there's no God. Outspoken as could be. Well-known, notorious. And so in 2009, everyone was really shocked when they found out that he did something that spring that he hadn't done since he was a boy. He went to church on Easter to celebrate the resurrected Savior. That which I read simply said he reaffirmed his faith in Christ, whether it began then or, or, or what the whole situation was, I don't know. But, but he went to church on Easter. This, this was contradictory to everything this man had put out, everything he was known for, everything he stood for. He would literally make fun of people of faith in Jesus Christ. But now he's known for a man who has faith in Jesus. He says that his life has been changed. I quote here, he said, My own return to faith has surprised none more than myself. My belief has come about in large measure because of the lives and, and examples of people I've known. No, not the famous, not saints, but friends and relations who have lived and faced death in the light of the resurrection story or in the quiet acceptance that they have a, a future after they die. I want you to listen to what this man said. Yes, I'm highly educated. I'm well read. I know a lot. But what brought me to faith in Jesus Christ, it, it wasn't all of that. It wasn't the well-known Christians. It wasn't the so-called saints. He said it was just the people I met every day in the course of living. Who had such a love for the Lord that it was evident in their life. He said, if you'll listen to his story, he said, I watched them face death with an assurance that there was a life yet to come. He just looked at Christians 
if you're saved today, maybe Christians like you. And the way they live had an impact on him. And I believe today that the way we live can have an impact on others. At one point, Jesus said, all right, I'm I'm ascending back to the right hand of God the Father. But he says, I I don't want you all to come with me now. Just go home. Go home. I'll come again. I'm coming back to get you all. But in the meantime, would you go home and tell your friends what great things I've done? And our life is one giant opportunity to say, God, it's all yours, every bit of it. It's all yours. And may our lives be an appropriate response to the overwhelming goodness of God to us, to his grace at work in our lives. You see, when, when we have a, a faithful devotion and a fervent desire and a fruitful deference and a flawless diligence, we'll find that God will use us in an extraordinary way for his glory. Lord, thanks for this study the opportunity just to go through these few verses here today and and to discover what you have for us. Thank you for the exemplary response that this man had to your grace in his life. And Lord, I pray that uh, we live for you. Thank you for your love. Lord, help us to think of these truths today, to not leave here the same way we walked in, Help us not to play some religious game, but to understand the value, the necessity of a relationship with you that will last forever. Help us, we pray. Heads are bowed today and eyes are closed and we'll we'll be done and on our way shortly. But I wonder today, was there any value in your attending church this morning?